welcome Hoosier fans to another victorious episode of the Assembly Call. Tonight we rewatched your number one seed Indiana Hoosiers defeat the number four seed Louisville Cardinals 82 to 69 to advance to the Elite Eight of the 1993 NCAA tournament. Victory was Indiana's 31st on the season, and only two teams in Indiana history have won 31 games in the season, the 1975 and 1976 teams. So the squad that we watched this evening is certainly in good company. This will mark Indiana's 10th trip to the Elite Eight, where the Hoosiers have a record of 8-1. and one. Hoosiers will now await the winner of Kansas and Cal. So whether that's the uh, Kansas team with a, a balanced scoring effort or whether that's Cal led by a young man by the name of Jason Kidd, uh, we'll find out who the Hoosiers will face soon enough. Uh, for tonight, I'm your host, Andy Bottoms, here with Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast and Chris Williams from IU Artifacts, and we will break it all down for you on this edition of the Assembly Call IU Postgame Show. And let's start this show the way we start every show, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. Uh, the banner moment in this one can be none other than the point at which, in the first half, Calbert Cheney, if you paused your video quickly, you could actually see him remove the soul of Dwayne Morton uh, from from his body and Morton was really never the same in the in the game after that he in the possessions leading up to that block by Cheney I will not call it a foul because despite what the whistle was uh, it it appeared clean on every angle and the subsequent double technical uh, leading up to that Morton had been really really aggressive uh, with Cheney in the post uh, defensively was really holding him grabbing him off the screens certainly act like he uh, he wanted wanted a piece of Cheney, uh, the, the reality of the situation that would prove to not be the case, uh, because he, uh, he, he really took it to Morton from that point. Morton made his couple free throws from that foul, uh, from that alleged foul following that to give him seven points over about the first half of the, of the, of the first half. And he scored just five points, the remainder of the game and, and really, Took some four shots, really, uh, particularly, you know, picked up a th- picked up his third foul, given an elbow to Brian Evans, and then in the beginning of the second half, really came out, tried to overdo it. I would say uh, was overly aggressive, missed a bunch of shots, uh, and and really struggled throughout. Eventually, fouled out uh, late in the game uh, with just twelve points. While Cheney, on the other hand, responded extremely well to the uh, to the small dust up there played well in the first half, I think with 14 points. And then during a stretch in the second half, simply dominated the game. I I had him for 17 of 21 uh, at one point uh, during a run for IU. believe he assisted on one of the other baskets, although it was hard to tell as they cut away to the Florida State Western Kentucky game. And with this, uh, whatever definition this uh, television was that I was watching this game on, it was unclear whether he was the one to make the pass, but I believe that he was. Uh, Just had a tremendous game uh, for Cheney. Ends up with 32 points uh, and really was a huge factor as IU pulled away in the second half. Uh, And quite honestly, his play, as well as that of Greg Graham down the stretch following the injury to Allen Henderson, uh, are the reasons that you can think that this team uh, may hang another banner. And that's what makes it tonight's banner moment. So with that, I will uh, want to talk about our friends uh, who sponsored the Banner Moment, which is our friends at Homefield Apparel, a company that was founded by an IU grad and remains based in Indianapolis. They may have 60-plus different schools available on their website, but IU was their first school and their first love, and they remain huge supporters of IU athletics. That's one reason to support Homefield Apparel, but the two most important reasons to shop Homefield Apparel are one, the comfort. Uh, the, the garments are comfortable even after they're washed. I think everyone on tonight's panel and that's associated with the show has uh, multiple 
uh, items from home field apparel and and two they're unique they've got logos you can't find anywhere and even if you find that you've bought um, as much of the IU apparel as you uh, as you can afford you can also go out and find other exciting logos I recently ordered a couple things the uh, Appalachian State uh, one the yellow shirt with uh, Yusuf I believe is his name on it so I, I picked that up uh, and with the end of the college basketball season even picked up something for the Dayton Flyers to try to remember the season by uh, because we really appreciate what Connor and the guys at home field are doing, uh, particularly in in what has become a really difficult time and the things that they're doing to take care of their employees. So a company that we are uh, happy to have on board and one that we proudly stand behind. And remember, because you're a member of the Assembly Call audience, you get a massive discount when you order at homefieldapparel.com. You can use the promo code ASSEMBLY20 at checkout to get 20% off of your entire order. That's ASSEMBLY20 for 20% off your entire order. So go to homefieldapparel.com today and get the most unique and comfortable IU apparel anywhere. All right, now it's time to move the ball, find the open man, and get some opening thoughts from the rest of our team. Uh, tonight, uh, we've got a couple uh, special guests on for us, so I will throw this to Galen Clavio first of Crimson Cast to get his thoughts on this exciting 13-point IU victory that sends them to the Elite Eight. I mean, I'm 13 years old right now, so a 13-point victory seems very apropos. Uh, no, you know, this was... There was a lot of concern coming out of of last weekend's game against Xavier because this was an IU team that frankly looked pretty vulnerable against Xavier. They they struggled to put away a team that certainly wasn't a world beater by any stretch of the imagination. And you were certainly concerned coming into this contest, taking on a Louisville team that you know didn't have as good of a season as as perhaps their talent might have dictated, but still is as normal a really athletic collection of players that's coached well by Denny Crum. Uh, you're really worried how they were going to handle not having Alan Henderson maybe at all. Uh, and you also worried about, you know, what the mentality of the team was going to be having just survived in the second round. And so it was heartening to see IU come out and play as well as they did early on in this contest because they were they were on it offensively from the get-go. And their shooting was just incredible. They were shooting like 82% at one point in the first half. That would gradually fall off. There were some things about the game that were a little bit troublesome. Uh, the, the turnovers and I think just the carelessness with the basketball was a bit of a head scratcher. But by and large, this was the kind of dynamic offensive performance as my dogs are going crazy here in the background. They were really pumped up about uh, you know, the way that IU was able to get guys open. And I think particularly Calvert Cheney and Greg Graham just showed why they've been the leaders uh, the way that they have, not just this season, but the last few seasons. So, you know, overall, anytime you can win by double digits in the Sweet 16, that's huge. Uh, and and that's something I think that uh, hopefully this team can build on as they go into their Elite Eight game. Agreed. Uh, the other special guest we've got with us tonight is Chris Williams from IU Artifacts. So, uh, Chris, what were your thoughts on uh, tonight's big victory? Well, it's a classic example of just how much Calvert Cheney can take over a game. Um, I think we saw that evident. You know, he has this ability to create space and kind of make shots in his mid-range game is as good as we've ever seen up to this point, I think, in IU history. And I think that, you know, one of the things you have to look at is is the foul situation. Indiana only com- committed nine fouls the whole game. And I think that played a big big role in, in getting the victory because you go into this kind of echoing what Galen was saying. Uh, Indiana 
is lacking size right now. With and Henderson's limited minutes on the floor, you could see that he just was not himself. And I, I tweeted earlier that I'm talking about the fact that it was almost as if we're looking at another situation with Scott Mayo on the floor during the 75 season. Um, and I, I think that, you know, when with, with Henderson's lack of mobility, it was really up to, to Matt Nover to, um, to stay out of foul trouble. And he did uh, a marvelous job of that. He had those two quick fouls to start the second half. But other than that, he was able to uh, hone it in. And I think to me, that's a big, that was a big key here because you see the way they started. They started with, with Brian Evans and Calvert Chaney. So they tried to start a little bit more up front, but uh, Evans is not a natural four. I think he's more of like a three in many ways. And I think, you know, Calvert has the ability to play a variety of positions on the floor, but for Nover, I think that's, that's something you can't underestimate is first of all, he played every minute of the game. He never, he never left the game. And even toward the end, he didn't get to the point where he started grabbing or, or committing cheap fouls because he was getting tired. And I think that, that really sets a, a really good message. Now moving forward, it's just going to get harder against Kansas because there's going to be more size and more athleticism. So it's going to beg the question of whether or not they can sustain this with, with their limited front court presence. Yeah, I think the the front court piece is an interesting one. Uh, Henderson got a few minutes against Xavier. Um, got a got a you know about ten minutes or so tonight. Thought looked uh, maybe a little bit better. Blocked a shot and got a steal in one of his first possessions. Um, was able to pick up a rebound. I think only took one shot uh, while he was in there. But that's. Uh, you know, outside of the play of, of Graham and Cheney, the big storyline with this team is really whether Henderson can give them anything as they move forward in this tournament. Uh, Galen, did you see anything tonight that makes you feel any more confident that he'll be able to to contribute against a team, uh, as Chris said, that's got more size that may present other issues? Uh, or, or do you foresee IU going more with a similar rotation to what they did tonight. Evans himself uh, hurt his thumb and didn't come back in the game uh, over the, the greater part of the second half. So things are getting a little thin up front for the Hoosiers. Yeah, no, and they've been thin for a while, and they've been able to survive almost entirely off of the fact that they've got Calvert Cheney on the team. And, you know, they're, they're getting really good contributions from their guards. You know, Greg Graham had, uh, you know, a good game against Xavier, had another good game. Uh, again today, Damon Bailey's been off from the field. They're going to have to find a way to get consistent, uh, you know, production out of their backcourt. I just, I'm not seeing it. We saw Henderson for about six or seven minutes against Xavier, and he just, he's just not himself. I, it is no blame. I mean, I, I'm shocked he's out there, frankly. You know, I mean, from everything I think that we, we all heard, are. and you know, the the way that the injury happened. It just didn't feel like we were ever going to see him back on the floor this season. And the fact that he's playing at all is miraculous. But, you know, kind of like what – I mean, it's a little different, I think, than the May situation in as much as, I, you know, May, you – I think they kind of felt like they would win anyway without May on the floor. And then they tried to get him back in and it ended up messing the chemistry up a bit in 75. I think in this case, I don't see a scenario – the IU team lost to Kansas earlier in the year with a full-strength roster. Granted, they didn't have Pat Graham at the time, but they did have a full-strength Allen Henderson. They lost that game on what was essentially a semi-home floor. Um, so I'm not seeing much out of Henderson at this stage. If they're going to win this next game, it's going to probably have to be through a different roster configuration than what they were using. Yeah, and 
So the other guy that, that really has emerged, if there's a, a bright spot in the light of the Henderson injury, it's really been the continued strong play of Greg Graham, uh, was named Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year and really had excelled on that end of the floor, but has really stepped up his offensive game and tonight had 16 points in the first half, ended up with 22 points uh, overall, really got IU going, hit a three early, uh, and then uh, I believe got an and one uh, shortly thereafter and, and scored you know six of IU's first eight points, did a lot of, did a lot of good things uh, early in the first half and really throughout the first half. Uh, you know, Chris, how, how impressed have you been with his continued ascension, uh, particularly in light of Henderson being out and just the way he stepped up? Yeah, it's, I commented earlier that you know, I was thinking to myself just how much he has has progressed from last season. You know, throughout the Big Ten season, they were talking about him being a draft pick in the NBA, and I don't know if that was would have been necessarily the case closing out last season. Um, his athleticism, I think, is the one thing that that is just tremendous. He's to me the, the most effective athlete on the floor when he's out there. I mean, even more than, than Cheney, he has the ability to do things defensively. You can see that he made that tremendous block um, toward the end of the first half, I believe it was. But, uh, you know, his ability, it seems to be in transition is where I saw him shine the most. His ability to find the open man was a, was really effective. But his shot is just is, – is something that I think we all think about Cheney's mid-range game, but, but – but Graham, you know, he was he went for seven for eleven from the field, and he was perfect from the foul line. So I think that as as a scorer, especially like when we're talking about losing a guy like Henderson, who not only was a tremendous rebounding threat, but also was a scoring threat down low, you, you need to find uh, something else to as a kickout because if you do have a situation where you dump it down to Matt Nover, who I don't think is known for his tremendous offensive ability. Hell, he did have 15 points tonight. He does have the ability to make – he has good touch around the basket, but having the ability to kick out to somebody like Graham really sets in motion another offensive threat that defenders for, for you know, future teams are going to have to look out for. And it'll be interesting to see how Kansas comes out uh, knowing this going into the next game. Yeah, it's interesting to watch with with Graham. He's a guy that you look at, uh, someone who stayed four years, and just the way he's evolved over the course of his career, the, the transition play that you mentioned has really always been a part of his game, but the level of control that he's playing with right now compared to what he looked like uh, early in his career, just uh, you know, exciting to think about what guys can can be when they're in the program for that period of time, and uh, and, and as you watch them grow, you know, Galen, any uh, anything else you wanted to add on Graham uh, about his performance, whether it be the first half, second half, just really over the last few weeks, um, because it's it's been pretty remarkable. It's hard to have a season where you average 16 and a half points a game, where you shoot 55% from the field and 51% from the three-point line be overshadowed. But that's exactly what's happened to Greg Graham this season because Calvert Cheney's on the roster and has been just tremendous. But look, I at this point, it's hard. You know, you, Graham has almost has sunk into the background a little bit because the focal point of, of everybody is Cheney and yet Graham is out there, you know, chipping in consistently in a bunch of different areas. And I think that, you know, what he was able to do in this game was an illustration of, uh, you know, not just his offensive ability in terms of scoring, but also his ability to, to, you know, to help the offense along and, and, you know, it didn't as much show up in terms of the overall box score here, but 
a guy had over what did he have 100 102 assists this year which was tied for second most on the team uh you know and that's for a guy who's essentially a two guard that's that's a pretty big accomplishment so i i look i think that what you've seen as we've watched this season and, and this group of players come to this natural culmination is in almost any other era, you'd look at Greg Graham and say that that guy is a tremendous, you know, maybe best player on the team. It's just that he happens to play with, you know, perhaps the best player that, uh, you know, pound for pound has actually ever put on an IU uniform. And, and that's good. It's an interesting sort of thing to think about, you know, what would we'd be talking about with Greg Graham if this was 1986 instead of 1993, or if this was like the late seventies, like, I mean, it's, you, you look at him and you're like, well, you know, with, if he was the top dog on a team, how good could he have possibly been? So I, I was just really impressed with how he played, not just in this game, but all the way down the stretch of this year. Yeah. And I, and you mentioned that. And so, as you say that we're going to talk about Cal Bergini, So but perhaps this is not meant to overshadow, but I, yeah, it certainly talked about him in the in the banner moment, but just a, a an incredible performance from him. He got a little bit of rest toward the end of the first half when uh, Knight really tried to you know set him down with two fouls, tried to see if he could get through the rest of the half. Uh, and Damon Bailey made a couple clutch plays there that we'll we'll talk about in our next segment. Uh, but Cheney really at the beginning of the second half, things were really ragged uh, for for both teams, quite honestly. And Cheney took a. a a longer three early in the shot clock um, uh, early in the second half. But then the very next possession, he came down, stepped into one. They moved the ball around, uh, made a basket there, got a tip in a couple possessions later, uh, an assist to Nover on a really nice feed uh, after that, and and then really just kind of took off for a stretch there, uh, con- totally controlled the game. I think scored uh, 9 of 11 for IU in a, in a quick spurt that put IU up at the end of it, 73 to 62, and they never really... Uh, it never really got close after that. Had a couple of uh, those patented shot fake drive uh, into the you know the edge of the lane and just pull up and and knock down a jump shot. And uh, it, it's one of those things where he's just been such a joy to watch over the course of of his four years in Bloomington. And uh, you never really know. It's it's good to see him go on to another game and and go on to face the winner of that Kansas Cal game. But uh, just a, a chance again for him to really show his greatness and a chance for us to. You know, celebrate all that he's all that he's done uh, over the course of his career because we don't know how many games of him we have left to watch uh, at this level for sure. So, you know, Chris, what uh, what takeaway do you have from from Cheney in this game? You know, what have you really seen uh, from him? I you know, I, I saw lots of leadership from him. Just you know, making you know, pumping his fist. Not an overly demonstrative guy, but you know, pulling Greg Graham aside a couple times when he got upset about something and. Uh, just the kind of leadership that you really like to see, but uh, what 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 will be a lasting impression of you from Cheney whenever his uh, run at IU comes to an end over these next few weeks? Well, he's clearly not going to take crap from anybody, as we saw with the Dwayne Morton situation. So I think that's one thing you have to address first, and um, he's not going to back down from that. Yeah, the leadership has been there. I think you could argue that the leadership was there in many ways from day one. Uh, you could argue that as a freshman, he came in and really kind of cemented himself as, you know, this player that was going to be someone that 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 was going to take on a role and was not going to be willing, not going to be uh, backing down from whatever was kind of thrown at him. It was interesting during the game, you know, when whenever Louisville kind of crawled back between four down to three, even kind of, uh, I think three might have been the closest they got in the second half, but 
Cheney was always there just to hit the dagger after dagger after dagger. And that's something that routinely he has been uh, capable of doing. He, when you needed a basket, you needed something to kind of, you know, transition things back to in Indiana's favor. He's been that guy. And I, and I think that um, his presence on the floor, it just brings a lot of comfort to the rest of the players. And I think that there, there's just something about, you know, even when toward the, in the first half, when there was this back and forth and both teams were just playing really ugly basketball, it was Cheney that kind of settled things down. I mean, he, he saw him running the point a couple of times on a few possessions that I thought was interesting in terms of, um, you know, kind of running things the way he wanted to see things kind of play out. And I think to me, um, there hasn't been a player on IU's roster in a long time that has been able to do that as like that kind of floor manager. You could argue that Steve Alford in many ways embodied that, but I don't think it's an, I know Galen's probably looking at me going, eh, it's no. not, it's not an apples. It's an, it's an apples to oranges comparison. But I think in terms of, um, you know, being willing to say what's needed to be said to a teammate at a given time, Cheney's not going to be one to, to, to mince words. I think when he, you know, he's been that way and he was that way last year. I think last year, you know, uh, he was the team leader. Clearly it was not seniors, Jamal Meeks and, and Eric Anderson. It was Cheney's team. And it's been that way for, for, you could argue for uh, at least two seasons, if not more. Yeah. It's uh, I was thinking about that while we were having this conversation, Chris, it's like, he, think back to what we've seen in the last 15 years of Indiana basketball. And there really hasn't been a player quite like Calvert Cheney. Maybe, I guess if we're going back the full 15 years, I think you could probably say Mike Woodson was the last player that was kind of like that. Because if you go through, I mean, Isaiah Thomas was tremendous, but Isaiah Thomas was a point guard. He had a, a particular type of way he played the game that wasn't as all-encompassing. Steve Didn't Alford, have the scoring ability yeah. that Calvert does. Yeah. Steve Alford certainly was a shooter extraordinaire, but he – He's running off of screens. He's constantly moving without the basketball. The whole purpose of the offense is to get Steve Alford the ball. You know, Jay Edwards, who we didn't get to see more than a season and a half of, he had the, the potential to kind of grow into that, but he was also a little bit undersized. And you know, it would have been interesting to see what he would have grown into if he had stayed for his final two years. But Calvert Chaney, really for the first time since the 70s, feels like one of those complete basketball players that we've seen on other teams. And it hasn't necessarily hurt Indiana. They won two national titles. They won, what, four Big Ten titles in the 80s, I think four or five. They, they, were, you know, they were a team that was able to succeed almost not having players like that. But we forget that the foundation of the Bob Knight era at IU was built in part about by having players like this on the team. And it's really, it's almost like a blast from the past to some degree to see a guy like Calvert Chaney with his versatility, with his ability to shoot, with his ability to defend, with his ability to rebound, with his ability to control the pace of the game and also be a, a leader, like a spiritual leader for the team. Uh, you know, being able to do all that, being able to be the all-time leading scorer in Big Ten history, a mark that you know, who knows, might stand for a long time after this, uh, is, it's really special to see. And I think it's easy to kind of lose track of it in the moment of how lucky we've been to watch Calvert Chaney these last four years and to remember that he essentially came almost fully formed out of the basketball womb as this type of a player. You know, I mean, it, it's it's amazing as relatively unheralded as he was, despite what Bill Raftery said on the broadcast, uh, you know, he was not the heralded recruit 
in this class. That was Pat Graham. You could say Greg Graham. Certainly Lawrence Funderburg was in that group as well. Um, and, and the fact that this, the way that it's de- developed for, for Calvert Cheney, the way he came out as, as hot as he did and stayed that way all four years is, is really a special thing that hopefully IU fans remember for a long time. Yeah, it was interesting. A couple, and we'll certainly talk about Cheney uh, quite a bit in a few of the the meaningful moments in the next segment. But even at the end of the game, uh, you know, you felt really good about the free throw shooters that IU had out there. But Leary, but Pat Graham and Leary both uh, missed the front end of one and ones. And Cheney basically went and got the ball the next time down to be the one to get fouled. He did. Uh, he rimmed out a second one, but he made three out of four uh, free throws down the stretch. And it was just a when when somebody needed to take charge, he was the guy to take charge. It was a play that I think it was maybe Greg Graham got beat back door and Cheney just kind of turned to him with this disapproving look of, I can't believe we just gave up a basket that way. And, you know, but just kind of shook it off after that and, uh, you know, got back down the floor and, uh, and, and went back to playing. But again, that leadership that we, uh, that we talked about so much is, uh, definitely there for Calvert. So we'll certainly talk more about him as we uh, move forward in our next segment. We'll uh, continue the breakdown of IU's 82-69 win and look for some meaningful moments you might have missed as well as some uh, stats from tonight's game. This is Jordan Halls, and I never miss a shot, or an episode of The Assembly Call. You're listening to The Assembly Call IU Postgame Show. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast and Chris Williams from IU Artifacts, and we are breaking down IU's 82-69 victory over the fourth-seeded Louisville Cardinals in the Sweet 16. Uh, it's time for tonight's meaningful moment that you might have missed. And uh, there were a number of these, and I think there'll be good ways to, to talk about a handful of the players that we haven't really uh, gotten to hit on so far. Um, the let, Let's let's talk Pat Graham uh, briefly. Uh, there was a point in the first half. Louisville had cut the lead to one at 29-28. Uh, Calvert Chaney comes down, hits a three, and then the next possession, Pat Graham uh, knocks one down. And it, and it really, particularly after Brian Evans went out, it was Pat Graham getting a lot of minutes uh, late in the game. And and he's another guy, you know, Greg Graham has, has gotten a lot of accolades for stepping up in in the aftermath of the Henderson injury, but Pat Graham has played really well there as well. Uh, you know, came back in that Purdue game when it was somewhat unexpected that he would be out there, gave them some minutes, uh, put up 10 points in the Xavier game uh, in the second round and, and really has stepped up and, and tonight didn't necessarily have a huge scoring game. Those three points were his only three of the game, but uh, he played 19 minutes, uh, had those three points, three rebounds, three assists, just one turnover. I thought he really gave some solid minutes and, and was a guy that, you know, Galen had mentioned, in the last segment about you know, being one of the more highly regarded recruits of that group. And his career certainly hasn't gone due to the injuries and things like that, as well as everyone had hoped, even though we've seen the flashes of it there. Um, but he's another guy who really has stepped in and assumed a, a more complimentary role and really started to excel in it. Um, so, so Galen thoughts on, on Pac Ram, what you saw from him tonight. Uh, do, do you see him continuing to soak up some of those minutes, um, especially dependent upon what uh, Evans' status is? for the uh the winner of that kansas cal game i mean we have to keep in mind pat graham this is this was only his 12th game of the season and 
you know, he's he's only averaging about 15 minutes a game. He he just hasn't had that many reps. And this is a guy that unfortunately, because of the of the broken foot that he suffered on, on two different occasions, you know, missed the entirety of of last year. Uh, it's it's just it's it's very touch and go with him. I don't know how many minutes he can actually absorb. And he still looks a step slow defensively. Uh, he's still trying to find where the ball is supposed to go when he's passing it. He got caught out on the perimeter a couple of times picking his dribble up because he wasn't exactly sure where to go. I don't blame him for any of that. Like in an ideal world, you're not having to play Pat Graham in those sorts of situations. Um, you know, but it's easy to forget what a good player Pat Graham is. Uh, you know, he was as as was mentioned, you know, he was I think Indiana Mr. Basketball in 1989. He was uh, you know, he didn't start as many games as people perhaps remember his freshman year, but you know, he was he was one of those players that was just uh, he'd come off the bench and he would give you a lot of offense very quickly. And it looked like he was going to be a, a key part of this IU team, uh, even into his sophomore year. He started a couple of games. He was he was in the rotation pretty regularly. Um, it's a shame the way that his injury situation has played out over the course of time. Um, and certainly what he brings to the table isn't quite, you know, it's like, you, you you need a you need another player that can play effectively in the post, and that's something that definitively Pat Pat Graham cannot do at this point. But if he can spell at the at that three spot for a little bit and allow Knight to move things around a little bit, you know maybe they have a fighting chance against Kansas. Maybe they can figure out a way to to reconfigure the defense. Um, you know, but I think his best contribution is going to be if he can get hot from outside. If he can hit some shots from three, if he can open up the the defensive setup for Kansas a little bit. That's going to be where his contributions will come in. Yeah, I thought he passed up. There was a shot, I think, in the second half where he shot faked out of an open three that you would have liked to see him take and took a, a pull up uh, from there. But I, I, you know, you'd like to see him have the confidence to really step up and hit that three like he did in the first half. You know, the other thing they did do when you talk about defensively, Cheney played a couple possessions on Rogier uh, and really kind of played more of the four at times in the second half. So maybe you see some of that dependent upon. Uh, what Evan's status is, but uh, but Chris, uh, thoughts on on Pat Graham's performance tonight, and and what that might mean, what if anything that might mean for his minutes uh, as we move into the Elite Eight. Yeah, I'm just going to kind of echo a few things that Galen said. I don't think that he was 100 percent out there. I don't think that he could have played any better than he really did. Obviously, but um, he's going to bring you a scoring threat, and that's that's his greatest attribute. His defense was. His defense was a little bit, uh, you know, he's going to do his best out there. He, he was not a heralded defender coming out of high school. He averaged over 30 points a game because he was a scorer, and that's what he was recruited as. And, and if he can, if he can be an, an additional three-point shooting threat, you know, if, if they get into that situation and, and he can be that, that threat, that's going to be something that's going to earn more minutes. It really just comes down to him kind of filling a void and, and letting, you know, guy like Cheney get a blow or, or Graham get a blow for a minute. Uh, you know, and who knows, he may play, you know, I don't think he's going to, you know, outplay, you know, Damon by any means in terms of minutes, but Bailey, Bailey was only two for seven from the field tonight. So, uh, you know, and he, he hit that big three in the first half, but uh, if Graham can come in and, and start knocking down some shots, that could really be a huge impact that could, could change the, the tie of the game because, um, they're going to need to have the outside shooting going because the inside is going to be 
difficult for a guy like Nover to score effectively on someone like Greg Ostertag. It's just, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be touch and go. So uh, I think, I think Graham could bring a lot to the table if he's making shots. Yeah. The other, you mentioned Damon Bailey. He had a couple other moments that I wanted to bring up. Uh, and it was that stretch toward the end of the first half. He really had not taken a whole lot of shots, took one early, uh, but, but otherwise didn't, um, you know, didn't do, didn't do a ton there. And so he stepped up though, toward the end of the half with Cheney on the bench, as we talked about earlier, uh, hit, hit a big three. And then you had, uh, you know, the other kind of meaningful moment that I had jotted down, you know, Brian Evans makes a good defensive play, uh, knocks the ball out of bounds when, uh, it seemed like IU wasn't going to get the ball back. Chris Reynolds had gotten called for an offensive foul. And so you didn't feel like IU was going to get another shot at it, but Evans makes a solid defensive play. 1.9 seconds left. IU's got the ball. Uh, they run a great out of bounds play, get Bailey a shot. He nails the three and puts IU up seven as they go into the break. And so his play, those were the only buckets he scored of those two threes down the stretch uh, of the of the first half. But they were really big baskets to give IU at least a little bit of cushion and really reward Knight in some ways for uh, not leaving Cheney out there, not putting him back out once he got that second foul and, and giving him some rest. So thought those were big plays from Damon. You know, Galen, you had mentioned earlier that he had struggled uh, a little bit down the stretch. Did you see anything tonight that makes you feel any better or worse outside of that one, you know, flurry of, of threes at the end of the uh, first half? Not really. Here's the thing about Damon this year. If you look at his stats from his first two years, and then you look at what he's done this year, He's had a tendency to sink into the background a little bit more. And I think that that's just Damon being a good team player in as much as he's been called upon. And I think it was really obvious in this game. He's been called upon to be the de facto point guard who can also score because IU doesn't really have that player on the roster right now among like the cadre of point guards. They've got Chris Reynolds, who certainly can play point guard from a passing perspective, but in a game like this, where you have to have outside offensive threats, Chris Reynolds just isn't getting it done. That's why he only plays three, four minutes in this game. Um, you know, this is where they miss a guy like Jamal Meeks from last year, who could who could drive and penetrate and was an offensive threat. Maybe wasn't as good of a passer as Reynolds. You know, and, and I think Bailey's kind of kind of sub, subjected or subjugated his own offensive game at times throughout the course of this season in order to help facilitate what other people are doing. He, he's He's trying to set up Greg Graham. He's trying to set up Calvert Cheney. He's trying to set up Matt Nover. And I think that that process, it worked a lot better when Alan Henderson was out there and, and starting and playing regularly because then he fits really well into the overall flow of things. He can, you know, as the, as the fourth option, uh, sometimes Damon Bailey is a tremendous fourth option offensively. Here, he's still trying to do the same thing, but the offense isn't flowing quite as well because you don't have that post presence uh, on both blocks like you had earlier on in the season. So I think Damon seems to be still kind of adjusting to that. And I think teams are keying on him a bit more and it's making his job a little bit tougher. Yeah. Chris, any, any thoughts on Bailey coming out of this game for you? You know, I, I think I agree with Galen hundred percent, you know, he's going to bring that sport, that scoring uh, factor that, that Reynolds doesn't have. I mean, Reynolds is a tremendous on-ball defender, but he can kind of get lost sometimes, I think, when his dribble penetration – I mean, he, he kind of got out of control in a couple times during Big Ten season. I think that Bailey's a little bit more, more under control with that. And I, I, I think with – I would like to see Bailey 
knock down some more shots. I think, you know, but I, I think Galen said it best. He's kind of fading into the background and kind of letting, you know, doing what he needs to do to set up the primary scorers right now, which are Graham, Greg Graham and Calvert Chaney. And I think, I, I think he's, he's doing what he's being told. And I don't know, maybe Knight's asking him to be more assertive on offense, but I, I think he's doing exactly what he needs to be doing right now. Yeah, I agree. I, d- I definitely didn't feel like he forced any shots over the course of the game. I thought he was, uh, you know, moved the ball, did the things that that Knight wanted him to do. So yeah, it wasn't uh, it, to me the fact that he only scored the six points wasn't necessarily a, a red flag uh, because the guys that were really hitting on on this game in particular were Cheney, Graham, and and Nover to that extent, and those were the guys that took the bulk of the shots. So uh, I, I think overall that was uh, a fair strategy. Uh, any other moments? really stick out to, to you guys um, outside of being excited about some of the CBS programming that's forthcoming? Uh, anything really, uh, really stand out? I thought it was interesting when Louisville tried to do the trap on full court toward the beginning of the game and, and Indiana broke it pretty easily for a lot of easy buckets and they kind of abandoned that. I thought that was something that I, I, I thought that, you know, Louisville would come out and try to hurry them up. And, and get them out of their comfort zone to be in a half court set. But I thought Indiana handled it really well. And you could see that there were some times that there were some turnovers that were there. And, and like I said, the, those first like six minutes, it was crazy how fast back and forth they were going. But I think um, I, I was impressed with how well Indiana was able to, to break that, that full court press and really kind of put Louisville in a predicament of whether they were going to, that was going to last the rest of the game or, or, if they were going to have to give it up, which they did. Yeah. And some of that, you know, you, I think Galen, it was you that mentioned Cheney played a couple of possessions of point guard. Maybe it was you, Chris, but you know, that really, it was the combination of Greg Graham, uh, Damon Bailey and Calvert Cheney that was able to, to make quick work of that press. And, and it was abandoned, uh, pretty quickly. It felt like, so, uh, I would, I would agree with you. I, I noted that as well. And you even saw them go to, I think a diamond and one toward the end of the game on, on Cheney, which, at that point, I think he'd done enough damage that it didn't really matter. Um, whether, you know, who knows what would have happened, whether they'd done that earlier in the game. But, uh, at that point, I, you had Leary out there. I think he knocked down a three during that stretch. And, um, so yeah, it was interesting to see some of the different things that they tried defensively, but given how well IU scored, uh, nothing was particularly effective. Uh, Galen, any uh, moments stand out to you? Are we not doing the CBS moments? Or- oh, we absolutely can do the CBS moments. I mean, <laughs> I think I, I, I you a man think, with three wives guy or pick fences, Dr. Quinn, I, medicine woman. There's so honest. many. I mean, as I mentioned, the, the man with three wives, I initially thought that was Richard Karn uh, and not Bo Bridges, which would have been an interesting twist if it had been Al from home improvement uh, with three wives. But uh, that was tremendous. The uh, just so much nineties just across the board. Um, and um, I think one of my favorites, and I mentioned this on Twitter, as somebody else quoted it in chat, the, uh, the Mercedes win-win lease, which they kind of throw out there as like, you know, this, this key that's going to let this relatively conservative family get a Mercedes and, and you look it up and it's like, Hey, that win-win lease is like $860 a month in 1993 dollars, which, uh, if you go to your handy dandy inflation calculator, that's about $1,550 a month for a lease. So just think about that. Like you could get two Range Rovers these days uh, on lease for that. How does Bex and O'Doul's get spots? Well, commercial spots. How is it? And how does, how does Chevy decide they're just going to put ads for every single one of their models? Like what we, we had the, we had the Blazer, we had the Luna, Luna. we had the Cavalier, which like my God, 
Um, there was something. You only had to hear Bob Seger like a rock once. Which yeah, I, I, I thought you were going to explode when oh, that popped yeah. up. And then that was, I was it. That was before, I guess it was the mid 90s, like Fox NFL, when it was literally twice an ad break every uh every time out with like a rock but uh, did anybody else notice that james woods was the voiceover on the bex commercial i missed that and i also missed apparently jillian anderson was on a credit card commercial which that's that's tremendous um yeah it's there's so much 90s across the board james brown's tie at the beginning uh that, that he was wearing like that was a tremendously 90s look but um no you know overall i think that the broadcast itself, it it, it it amazes me how many of the advertisements I recognized but hadn't thought of for a couple of decades. And I'm like, you know, this is – I can't remember where my car keys are most mornings, but I can remember the stupid ad about the, the Pontiac where they're like, you know – I was saying, oh, this is $5,000 less than the Accord. It's like I remembered every single part of that commercial, and I hadn't literally hadn't seen it in, in, in 18 years. That depresses me that somehow I retained all of that. So that, mostly the broadcast made me feel bad about myself. <laughs> well, that's that's certainly not the intent. Uh, I will say for the from a Chevy perspective, as uh, as we were going, they had the Lumina. At one point, my family owned not one, but two Luminas. And uh, we eventually, I eventually drove a Cavalier at one point. So, I mean, apparently this, much like you, Galen, really resided deep within, uh, deep within me as I, uh, as I worked through this. So uh, it was good to see. We'll do a, uh, well, Chris is asked to do a favorite commercial segment. So we'll leave that perhaps for the what aged best and worst segment. Um, I have a, I have a favorite in my head, but we'll, uh, we'll see what happens from there. Uh, so after that, uh, after that, there's no real way to rein this back into statistics, but there's no reason that we can't try. Uh, so we'll kind of look a little bit inside the numbers, uh, on this, you know, one of the numbers that wanted to mention this, we touched on this earlier in the game, but the, uh, one of the numbers was 40 and that was the number of minutes that Matt Nover played, uh, in the game. And he's a guy we haven't talked about a ton, uh, on the show. He had, you know, countless shot fakes really did some, some solid work inside, uh, against Louisville was seven of nine from the field, one of one from the free throw line. So a really efficient performance from him with eight rebounds, uh, just thought it was a, a strong performance and he did only have those two fouls it, to Chris's point. He picked those both up within about a minute of each other early in the second half. And, uh, it was good that he had not picked up fouls in the first half. Cause that may have been met, may have meant, um, sending him to the bench for a little while, at which point I'm not exactly sure what, how you would have done. Uh, but I thought a really a really strong performance from him inside held his own for the most part against the Louisville big men and and really where he needed to kind of let guys go and and didn't pick up cheap fouls. But uh, you know, Chris, any any thoughts on Nover uh, from from tonight's game? Obviously, a more challenging matchup you mentioned uh, against Kansas uh, potentially coming up for him. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to that. But for tonight, I thought he was did everything and a little bit more than than I you could have asked of him. You know, you you make a great point about the foul situation. If he had gotten two early fouls and he had sat most of the first half, that could have changed the tide of the entire game in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, he he did really well. You know, I don't think that he, you know, he, he ended with 15 points and I don't think that we could have asked for anything more from him in that, in that regard. But the fact that he, he played the whole game he did not get tired toward the end and start grabbing on defense and getting himself into a position with fouls. I, I, you know, going to the foul differentiation is just amazing. Yeah. That was the other we one I was going to bring up too. Fouls. 
Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to preempt oh, no, you. Uh, you're good. But, but, but nine total fouls to 20 for Louisville. I mean, that we didn't have a single player with more than two fouls. I mean, to me, that 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 is something that is just shocking in terms of our defense, you know, especially interior defense against a team that on paper is bigger. And you could see it early on. They were able to attack in the, in the paint and get some easy baskets. Um, but I, to Nova's credit, I, I think he played as flawless as he could have. Um, you know, he did have two turnovers, but like you said, you see, he did he did he did his job of staying out of foul trouble. The next game against Kansas, it, it's you're talking about an extremely skilled big man and great ghoster tag that I I I think it's going to be a big question to see if 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 Nover can can sustain that again. And you know, we 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 can't expect a lot out of Alan Henderson, unfortunately. Um, I think the interesting thing is when Alan Henderson came in that first possession, the dead ball. He went to the free throw. He was he was on the there at the free throw line, and he didn't even go try to rebound the ball. He had no intention of trying to go for the rebound. Now, granted, Calvert was shooting free throws, but he didn't have any aggressiveness with that. And I think that Nover realizes that he's in for another tough game against Kansas. Yeah, the other thing statistically, uh, you know, you talked about the foul differential. Although even Louisville, um, they fouled a lot late in the game, but they had to give a lot of fouls before IU went to the foul line there toward the end. Uh, the shooting numbers for IU are just amazing. On two-point field goals, they were 21 of 31, so 68% uh, on two-point shots, 7 of 14 from three, and 19 of 25 from the line. They missed uh, a number of free throws late. Most of those were late, actually. I think four of them came in the final uh, in the final minutes. Uh, just three offensive rebounds for IU, which I think happens because you they did not miss a lot of shots. Uh, so nothing to really to be worried about there. They they basically played Louisville to a stalemate um, on the on the boards, and then assists nineteen assists on twenty eight made field goals for IU. Which when you go back to some of the other conversations that we talked about, where there's not a you know true point guard uh, on the team with you know Reynolds is maybe the guy who would be the prototypical point guard, uh, a definite pass first guy you know, didn't get in until after 16 plus minutes of the first half, but just, I think a real, a real testament to the way that IU moves the ball. Um, and, and it doesn't necessarily matter that there isn't a, a true point guard on the roster when you're still dishing out 19 assists, uh, on the night, uh, Galen, any thoughts on the assist numbers or any other stats that jumped out to you as you look through the uh, stat sheet? Yeah, no, I mean, I think you make a really good point. And this was something they brought up on the broadcast. Uh, it's just, it's not a typical offense that teams are used to seeing. And I think Louisville hadn't seen an offense like this throughout the whole year where you're, you know, there's just this constant cutting, this constant screening. And we know this all because we've watched IU for years. But when you, when you see it like this in this sort of a situation, it's like, oh, that's why this works so well. And I think to some degree, you go through the Big Ten season and everybody knows, okay, this is the book on Indiana and this is how you defend. When Indiana gets into the tournament and they're able to run that offense well, it oftentimes results in a lot of assists, particularly as the game goes along because the other team doesn't know what IU's planning on doing uh, and can't keep up as, as the screens continue and, and you know, they just they can't take a rest on defense at all. And, you know, so I think that that's – it's just what Indiana is supposed to do. And it's, it's heartening to see that they still do it. You know, I mean, they, we saw this last year in the tournament uh, and now we're seeing it again this year. I did want to bring one thing up on Nover uh, that I, I thought was really interesting. There've only, only been two players who have started 
all 34 games so far this season for Indiana. One of them is Calvert Cheney, and the other one is Matt Nover. And you wouldn't think that, especially with Greg Graham averaging more points a game, uh, you know, with Damon Bailey being on the roster. But Matt Nover has started all 34 games. Uh, he's averaging double figures. It's really interesting because he's he's taken up at least some of the scoring burden that was left over from Eric Anderson uh, graduating, and yet they're completely different types of players, and they do completely different things. And you know, I think it's a testament both to Nover and to Bob Knight that they've been able to figure out a way to make his particular skill set work within this environment and within this offense. And you know, it's easy to some degree when you've got Caliber Cheney and you've got Greg Graham and you've got all these other players, Alan Henderson out there. But the fact that this particular type of guy, you know, I mentioned how Calvert Cheney was kind of a unicorn. If you look at the last 15 years of IU basketball in terms of the type of player that he is, Matt Nover is not a unicorn. Like we've seen this player over and over again, the guy that stays for four years gradually gets better and then has a senior year where he blossoms and becomes something above and beyond what he started off with. Uh, but it's still fun to see and it, it would be a shame if we ever lost that that tendency in IU basketball where we didn't see guys staying for four years and blossoming into this in their final year of action. Well, yeah, we talked about that a little bit with Greg Graham earlier. Uh, I, I would agree with you. It's it's always exciting to see these guys grow over the course of their career, and uh, those are a couple couple really strong examples. Uh, a couple other stats before we wrap up this segment. Uh, you know, defensively for IU. We talked about not committing fouls, but the other thing was that they'd still defended really well. It wasn't that they were just letting Louisville get whatever shots they wanted. Uh, Louisville knocked down eight threes, but they were eight of 25, so just 32% from three and 41% from the floor. Didn't put them on the line a whole lot, only gave up 13 free throw attempts, which is not surprising given the nine uh, given the nine fouls on IU, but really solid performance there. And, and the other thing of note, you re, we talked so much about Nover and Graham and Chaney. Uh, those three guys combined to score the same number of points as the entire Louisville team. Uh, so really with three guys, they played them to a stalemate, and then the uh, the contributions of the, the remaining players accounted for the difference. But just a really strong, albeit top-heavy performance from uh, from guys, as, as we've kind of mentioned, that have really carried a heavy load uh, both before and after uh, Alan Henderson has gone down. So uh, a solid performance from those guys, as we've mentioned. And, uh, and otherwise, you know, a lot of, a lot of good stats uh, tell are there to tell the story of a game when IU played as well as they did tonight. So with that, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up this segment. And when we come back, we'll give out our game balls and we'll uh, talk through what age best and worst from this game and try to put it into some historical context. That's next here on the assembly call. Stick with us. I never miss an open three, and I never miss an episode of The Assembly Call. You are listening to The Assembly Call IU postgame show. Catch us live immediately following every IU basketball game, plus every Thursday night at our website, assemblycall.com. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our free IU Hoops email newsletter. Over 7,000 of your fellow IU fans have already subscribed. And you can also text IU to 66866 to subscribe to the newsletter. That's IU to 66866. 
I'm Andy Bottoms here with Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast and Chris Williams from IU Artifacts. And it's time now for our game balls and uh, also time for us to kind of break this down and not uh, not pretend that we're in 1993 anymore. Although, um, ideally, 1993 me was not uh, having, a, having a beer during the show or really any show for that matter uh, at that point. But who's to say? Um, so with that, we can uh, we can kind of let down the, the wall here and talk about that. But uh, we'll do game balls first. Uh, Jared has Jared has put this in in the run sheet as uh, game balls around the horn. Andy Calvert, Galen Calvert, Chris Calvert, Jared Calvert, everyone with a brain Calvert. So um, I don't know that I'm in any position to dispute that, and I don't know that anyone would after having watched the game. But uh, I'll I might as well throw it to you guys. That way, if there's any other plays that kind of stick out to you from this game from Cheney uh, that we didn't hit on already that you want to uh, throw out there, this is your opportunity. So Galen, I'll, I'll give it to you first. I think you're still. I, in I don't even you. know what to say at this point. Speechless. My God. It, yeah, your, no, your mind's been made up for you. It's fine. Well, you know, like this is. I don't know, but no. Look, obviously, Calvert, thirty-two points, and I'll say this: we should all give Calvert the game ball now because I feel like in any other tournament with any other team, a guy who is the presumptive national player of the year, a guy who's going to be a lottery pick in the NBA, would have been slobbered over throughout the course of the entire broadcast by the crew. And I kind of felt like Calvert was treated like an afterthought to some degree. Uh, also told like, people to stay away from drugs at halftime. I mean, what right? did the guy not do? Right. You know, I, I almost feel like he didn't get enough credit during this game. Uh, you yeah, know, after he's drooling over Todd Larry, the whole game. What the right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's, he's, it's, it's, it's really weird. You think about the way that, that stars like legitimate stars, guys who are, are scoring 30 points, in tournament games get treated on broadcast today. I mean, if this had been Chris Duhon or somebody like that, uh, it would have been almost unfathomable, like trying to listen to it without barfing. But it wasn't like that with Calvert Cheney. Like it was just like, oh, there, there's Calvert. And, and a part of it was just how much it fit into the flow of the overall offense. And I think part of it was this idea of, well, this is just what IU does. And you don't notice it till afterwards. And it's like, oh my God, somebody scored 30 points. So, Obviously, Calvert Cheney's the game ball. I will say this: Matt Nover deserves a hell of a lot of credit to go, you know, fifteen and eight and shoot seven for nine from the field in a game like this, where you play all forty minutes. Is is and also to only pick up two fouls against a pretty physical front line for Louisville, as, as Chris mentioned earlier. That's a big accomplishment for a guy that's, you know, certainly if you're looking at. The most talented players on the floor for I just for IU might be the fourth most talented player uh, that's playing the game. So you know, I, I'll tip my hat to him and say, really good job. Uh, you would have probably been the player of the game in any other game that wasn't involving Calvert Cheney. Probably fair, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it's Calvert did was Calvert. He went about his business. I think it was very telling when James Brown says. And Calvert has 29 points as if it's just like, okay, he has 29 points. I'll be honest with you in the, in the, in the flow of the game, I kind of lost track of how well he was playing at times because he was just doing what he's done all season. It's not something that it was like, oh my gosh, Calvert Cheney scored 32 points. It's like, it's what he does. And I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of those things where you just kind of, you know, what else can you say about it? I mean, he, he goes about his, business you know he wasn't dominating from outside you know he was nearly perfect from the field he shot 
89% from, from two point range. And he did what he had to do at the foul line. And, and, you know, he got hacked toward the end of the game and was at the foul line a lot, but he, he, he took over the game. He single-handedly took over the game and, and he's done that all season long. So I'm not surprised. And it's no question that he deserves the game ball. Yeah, it was uh, a couple other couple other plays that I I had noted as we were going through. It was one of them was after the Henderson block and the ensuing offensive possession. He he caught a, a really nice feed, and I did not write down who it was from, but you know turned and dunked it one handed over Rogier, and then immediately forces a turnover down the other end, and is kind of pumping his fist on the sidelines, getting excited. And then there was a stretch, and I happened to just see this. I think it was yesterday on Twitter, maybe it was today, that somebody synced up the Fisher audio. Um, to this sequence, I think Martha, the mop lady tweeted this out, but there was a, a sequence of three plays where he hit this just really tough turnaround jumper, then had a nice cut, got a layup inside, and then just did the patented shot fake drive, not quite to the elbow, uh, a little bit inside of that and just rose up over everybody and made a shot, scored six straight points in, in no time. And uh, I, I think Louisville took a timeout immediately thereafter, as they should have. Uh, just just those kinds of plays. It's it's funny that you don't. It, it's been fun to go back and watch some of these games because while they all hold a, a kind of a special memory for for all of us who grew up in that era of IU basketball, it had been a while since I'd really sat down and watched like full games uh, of these guys. And I I I had watched part of this game even in the immediate aftermath of the the big 10 tournament getting canceled. Like I had already taken off that Friday after and I was like, I'm just going to stay home. And I watched some of these games and I just remember watching this game and I, I, I texted that the, like these guys were just so incredible to watch. Um, I used expletives as I was, uh, as I was doing it, texting to the, the normal uh, text chain that I have with Jared and, and coach and Ryan, but it, it just like watching these and the, just the, the poise that he had and how smooth he was, um, was just amazing and, and fun to go back and rewatch again. So uh, kudos to him for the game ball uh, as if he did not have enough, you know, accolades. This was right up there with the Chevrolet player of the game. I'm not sure which model of Chevrolet sponsored the player of the game, but um, they were all, they were all there for the taking as we, uh, as we go through That'd that. Be a so. Chevy. Oh, what'd you, I think you cut yourself off. It's gotta be the Chevy tracker that he gets the uh, game ball for. Obviously, obviously. So, uh, so as we've been doing, uh, with some of these, we, we've kind of been trying to talk through what age is the best and what age is the worst. Um, so, so Galen, I'll, w- w- let's do the worst first. Uh, what, what age is the worst from this game, uh, to you? Oh, uh, it was by far the, the Toyota Paseo commercial, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the women dig it commercial. <laughs> like, I mean, just, just. <laughs> it's like the me too movement is going they're hopping in the time machine right now and they're coming for you at agency like that was of uh of all of the things i mean there's there was a lot of funny stuff in there but that was the one commercial where you're just like yeah actually the other one uh i forget the exact wording but it was a it was a financial services company and it said something along the lines of maybe the only thing worse than dying is having your money run out. Is that the prudential? Commercial? The prudential, yeah. yeah. yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. But neither of those really survived well over the course of the intervening twenty-five years. <laughs> Chris, any, Chris, anything not age well for you? Uh, being someone who's uh, who's been on a golf course quite a bit, uh, I could not help but love the uh, the classic local golf commercial that was made where the guy is uh, teeing up with the, the old persimmon 
wood and he has the ball teed up really high and you know you can just I, you know it's cringeworthy for me uh but that one especially was good but you know the dockers with all the pleats uh the, the pleated pants that one uh that one just kind of i had to chuckle on because you know uh you know well and all the all the different shades of tan chris yes that's you know, right yeah yeah you have tan and tan yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the other thing and this was this was just brought up in chat by um who was it oh by indiana u hoops the, the live look-ins so i grew up in kind of a weird situation in that when uh, i was 11 so a couple years before this game actually we my my family moved into a house that had a big dish satellite and the cool thing once you figured out how to use the big dish satellite which was almost impossible to learn like the, the this was like the all the instructions were in hieroglyphics essentially but once you learn how to use this, you realize that you could pull in live feeds of games that were not um, like region dependent. Like, so it's like, oh, we're going to stick with the Indiana game pretty much regardless. And so I missed most of the live look-ins throughout the course of my lifetime. But, um, you know, there were occasions where the satellite wasn't working or whatever. And so you'd end up with situations like this where for, you know, three minutes, two minutes of like a key point of the second half, you're not watching the game that you want to watch. Like this was a Fort Wayne broadcast. This is squarely in the Indiana marketplace, and we're watching Western Kentucky, Florida State, like a game that maybe nobody cares about. Bob Sir, like, okay. like is somebody in Auburn, Indiana, being like, I, I can't wait to see what happens with Charlie Ward? No, they're not. So it was just that. That was really, um, you know, I understood what, what CBS was trying to do, but this was, I think, the thing to keep in mind. This is back in the era, and if you watch any sporting event from the eighties and early nineties, this comes through so much like networks really thought that sports fans were very casual, that they didn't really care what game they were watching as long as it was like exciting. And that was what the important thing was. It was not terribly brand dependent. And so they would do this all the time and it just frustrated the hell out of the actual sports fans who were not just there for the entertainment. Uh, but we're actually there because they were interested in watching their own team. So that that certainly has aged poorly as well. Yeah, I would agree. It was funny because I was I was sitting watching it. And I was just kind of trying to chart like some of the possessions in terms of what happened and who scored. And every time they'd go to one of those, I'd have to get up and get really close to the TV. But it didn't matter because it's not in high def. So you can't like no matter how close I was, it didn't really make any difference. But that was super frustrating. I would agree. I remember doing that even when. Um, you know, when the games were on that I would get up and get closer to the TV so that I could see, like, I didn't care about the 75 to 80% of the screen that was now taken up by the Florida state game. Uh, I cared about the 25% that was taken up by the IU game and trying to see that. Uh, although I can assure you that there were probably people at this time in, in that part of Northern Indiana, and maybe even some now who were appalled by the overall shininess of the Florida state uniforms, which was simply absurd as it, as it showed up. But that was, uh, that was one. I, I'll throw one out that that potentially both aged well and poorly. So I jokingly at the end of the game when they called that over and back, uh, that that it would it, it's too bad they don't have a monitor they can go to to go and and check this out uh, afterward. I mean that was if you want to look at why people want to have the monitor, it's a call like that where like at no point was Pat Graham across the 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 half court line and. And it was a clear call. There was really no way to review it. So on the one hand, that didn't age well. On the other hand, 
it was nice to see at the end of the game or at any like close call where the ball was tipped out of bounds, everybody just kind of went about their own business and everything was fine and no one complained and no one did the, oh, let's go to the monitor and look at whatever. So it was it was one that in certain situations would have benefited IU, but in general, the flow of the game, even late, didn't really grind to a screeching halt. So there was just a podcast with Bill Simmons and Ryan Russillo where they did a rewatch of the like the 93 Western Conference semifinals between the the Suns and the Sonics and they made the exact same comment that you just made where it's like there was a controversial call and a guy got knocked into the backcourt and then like they just made the call and moved on and nobody really cared and it yeah, was nobody did anything it was amazing yeah it was it's <laughs> y- yes we've 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 screwed ourselves anyway yeah, definitely definitely so all right uh all right. Anything. Uh, so what aged well for you, Chris, anything that, uh, that stood out that aged well? Gosh. Um, I think just the, the appreciation for, and this may not be the right way to word it, but the, I don't know. The biggest thing that stood out to me to age well was I thought it was interesting that, um, I'm struggling here. Go to Galen. I'll, I'll, I'll come back. <laughs> I'll jump in on this, I guess. No, I mean, I think the 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 freedom of movement has aged really well. Uh, and just the overall offensive competency of both teams aged really well. I mean, IU scored 10 points in the first three minutes. It was, what, a 93 or 94-point first half combined between the two teams. You know, shooting percentages were good. Offenses looked really fluid. There were some turnovers, certainly, that from some careless passes. But, uh, but overall, that aged really well. And and I got to say, as much as we bagged on some of the commercials because of their inherent '90s cheesiness, the fact of the matter is those commercial breaks were short. Like that whole game felt like it just moved at a clip. Like there were very few moments where you just kind of felt like, oh my god, are we going to get through this like commercial break and get to the other side of it? It, for whatever reason, and I mean, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense because the game still existed in a two-hour time frame, same as, as it does today, but it just, for whatever reason, the flow of the game now just feels a lot choppier and a lot less organic. This was a real, and I, as I've watched a lot of these older games, there's a smoothness to the way that's because the, of the, the shot clock. I mean, the shot clock, I mean, it's not just the shot clock, but I really think it goes back to the idea that there's not all these fouls being called constantly. And, and it wasn't like every game had so few fouls as this one did, but the, the, there was a, a lot more organic movement on offense for both teams in whatever game you were playing generally. And it did feel a lot easier to consume as a, as a, person just sitting there trying to watch basketball and, and see what's going on. And I feel like that's certainly been lost over time. You know, I think if something uh, that I thought was interesting was just that I appreciated more than anything was how much Indiana used the shot fake in the game. I think that's something that I, I, is put themselves in a position during the game to really kind of make better shot selections and better shot opportunities. And I think that's something that looking back now, I wish maybe was more, maybe it's something that's kind of been a lost art in, in college basketball to some extent. Um, I just saw somebody posted that Bill Rafter is aged well, and I would have to agree on that. Um, and somebody in the chat made that comment, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I think um, 
I agree with you, Galen, that it does seem like th- that we saw more basketball and more fluidity with that than just than than with the commercials. I appreciated that overall, but it, it seemed like the flow of the game kind of evolved as we go through. And, and nowadays, I think that it, I like the way you were were worded as as choppy. The games are choppy. They don't seem to have kind of like a, um, any kind of consistency to them. Even with the most talented, most you know. Uh, veteran teams it's something that's that is clearly lost and i feel like i thought i was going to be like i'm 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 just being this old guy saying old things and and yet this this game is kind of an acid test for me that that goes the opposite direction because this was not an edited game i mean as i've mentioned on previous broadcasts my dad was militant about like hitting the pause button when the commercials would come on and then hitting them again hitting it again when it would come off so that there were no commercials. And so you never really got a sense of the flow of the game. This was essentially a, we're just going to roll the tape and just see what happens sort of thing throughout the course of the whole two hours. And it really struck me as I was sitting there watching it, like this is, this feels like an organic experience in a way that a lot of these games just don't now because they're so saturated with TV timeouts and, and with foul calls. I mean, it's just the, the flow is so much better 25 years ago. Yeah, it's funny because, I mean, really, I think the game from like hitting play until the game was over was probably about an hour and 55 minutes. I think overall the YouTube video was close to two hours, but there was a little bit they tacked on at the end. I think there was even a an interview with, with Knight and Chaney that, that may have been there. I came downstairs after that was, was done to you know try to get everything set up but yeah i mean even the beginning they had a preview section took a break then came back to do to start the game it wasn't even like the game started at the beginning of that and it was still well within the two hours uh and and yeah i thought the flow was generally good some of iu's better possessions were ones where you know they showed an ability and i think that a lot of that has to do with the personnel on the team like there were times when they would go down and they would take some relatively quick shots um but there were other times that some of their better offensive possessions were ones where they you really settled down used the full shot clock made the opponent work for a long period of time and eventually got a good shot um and so to galen's point of you know sitting around being old and saying old things i guess that probably makes me fits me into that category of like well they made him work on defense and that's really what mattered and they got a good shot as a result but it was really it was really true in, in this case as you go through some of that so um yeah, I thought those things were were interesting to look at. Some of the the freedom of movement, as you mentioned, uh, I do think the the note and somebody somebody tweeted this out as well about the uh, the technical on on Cheney where they're talking about like sportsmanship or whatever being a point of emphasis. <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, that's been a point of emphasis every year since then. And yeah, taunting really, they kept talking or about taunting. Yeah, thinking, that's what it was. What, that's when what is it was. ever not a point of yeah. emphasis? Yeah, eh, what are you gonna do? Um, so. So the other you know thing to kind of touch on was you know, we've been trying to go through some of these and put them into some kind of context. Uh, I think with this team, um, a, a lot of it you know dovetails into to the last game that we did, which was the uh, the IU LSU game from 1992. A lot of the same things that are said about that team are are talked about with this team because they're inextricably linked in everyone's mind. A few pieces changed Eric Anderson, Jamal Meeks, as we've talked about, but in general, it's a lot of the same cast of characters that we go through. And and Galen, you and Scott did a crimson cast this week. That was a little bit more dipping into the hypothetical or big picture type questions. And, And one of those was around, you know, what happens if this team, you know, Alan Henderson doesn't get hurt, whatever happens, this team goes on to, 
it to win a national championship. What does that all, all mean? So I, I don't want to, we don't need to dive back into everything that you and Scott talked about. I would certainly encourage people to listen to that, um, to kind of go through the, the larger discussion, but, uh, anything that you came away with your conversation with Scott about that, that, that you think is worth sharing in the aftermath of watching what would be this group's last win, uh, I, as a team. I'll say this. Having watched this game again, it was really apparent this team wasn't going to win the national title. I think that for most of us who were watching at the time, this particular configuration without Alan Henderson, I mean, they were just they were very limited in what they could do. They were um, they just had the wrong personnel set at the wrong time. If uh, if Eric Anderson is there when Alan Henderson gets injured, maybe they still are able to win a national title. Or if Brian Evans is a year older, um, you know, or if Chris Lawson hasn't transferred a couple of years earlier, that was probably a, a ship that had, you know, was, it was impossible to keep from sailing. Um, you know, so it's, it, it, you know, when you look back on it, it, it was in, inevitable that the season was the end like this. Like even if they had somehow managed to beat Kansas, who would they have played in the final four? Chris, was it North Carolina that they would have played in the, in the semi because Kentucky played Michigan. Is that right? He, Chris was muted there, but yeah, I think that sounds right. I'll double check, but I, yeah, but I don't sure think, but right I mean, if that. they, even if they get past Greg Ostertag and Kansas, they're probably not beating Eric Montross uh, and North Carolina. They would have run into the exact same issue and probably a slightly more talented team. Um, but, but to go back to the, the central question that you were asking and what we talked about on the podcast, I, I don't know if, I, you know, I, there's, there's two, there's two different paths you could potentially look at from a scenario perspective, if IU wins a national title, it probably insulates Bob Knight from serious criticism four or five years later, which he, which would end up kind of that along with the various incidents that were going on would end up undoing him at IU. But it also might've been a situation where he just decides to leave at some point in the next couple of years after that, because at that point, what does he have left to prove? He's won four national titles um, he doesn't want to go through another major rebuild. He doesn't really like recruiting anymore. Maybe he needs to leave for a couple of years to kind of recharge the batteries, uh, which would have been a very different sort of, of of long-term outcome for IU either direction in that case. But, um, you know, it's hard to say uh, with either of these teams if they'd managed to pull off the victory uh, and then, you know, and, and win a national championship, whether that would have been better. I mean, it certainly would have been great because we would have had an extra national championship at least, but it would have been interesting to see if there was really any tangible difference in what happened over the next six years. Yeah. Chris, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree with, with Galen and it would have been UNC. And then if we had miraculously gotten past UNC, you play the winner of Kentucky and Michigan and you really beat Michigan again. I, I don't know. I, I, the biggest thing to me with this team is that I think that in the moment we didn't realize what was coming up next. And I, Gail and I have talked about this before. You, you, this is really for, you know, I was 10 when, when this season was, was concluding. And I remember it very vividly. I remember bawling when my dad told me that, that Henderson had gotten hurt in practice. Um, and I remember thinking, you know, I didn't have the the insider analysis about basketball at the time, nor do I really now, but I didn't really understand what the impact would have made. And I think when we think about what that team was, um, the next year was just to be, you know, 
94 team goes to the Sweet 16, but just what that 93 team, that what that was going to be an endpoint for and what all the uncertainty and all the, the ups and downs moving forward, I, I don't think that we truly have realized now it's, it's very clear, but we didn't realize just how important that season was in, in IU basketball history because it, things were changing. Things were going to change drastically. And I think uh, to, to echo what, what Galen was saying, the personnel was not there. If you don't, if you have a healthy Henderson, it changes everything. But, you know, I think that to, in Nover, he was more one-dimensional in a lot of ways than, than Henderson was. Henderson had a lot more athleticism than Nover, but you don't have the personnel. I mentioned it earlier. I mean, Todd Lindemann by no means is going to be a superstar even at this point, but you know, he's sitting on the bench as a red shirt. So you're, you're, you, you, you don't have an extra big body to, to, to draw some foul, you know, to get fouls and, and, and give somebody a, a blow because I don't just, does, does Nova go back to back 40 minutes? I don't think he does. Well, he came close. I think he played 39. I looked at the box score yeah, of the Kansas yeah. game, which is yeah. crazy. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, he would have essentially had to play 40 minutes every game for the remainder of the tournament for them to be able to win. This was, you know, keep in mind that this team was one – it was really one big man away. Even if even if Henderson's healthy, I don't know that they necessarily win the national title this year. Like, I think they, they probably had a better shot the previous year because they had a more complete team. They, they had a more complete point guard situation – they had a more complete situation on the front line. Uh, this team was missing essentially one of three players. And those three players were either Lawrence Funderburk, who ends up transferring after seven games uh, in his freshman year, Eric Montross, who was supposed to be in the next class and, and didn't, went to North Carolina instead, or Chris Lawson, who was supposed to be the big man that – you know, kind of anchored the post for IU over the course of this four years. And he ends up transferring after his sophomore year. Was that right, Chris? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was disappointed kind of, that you didn't mention Malcolm Sims, his departure at the <laughs> beginning of the 93 season. That, that hurt. I think I'm taller yeah. than Malcolm Sims. So I'm not sure if that helps in the post, but uh, it was just like as good as this team was and as effective as they were, um, you know, I do think that it, it was going to be difficult for this configuration a team to win the national title um you know if if they have pat graham the whole year and he's firing on all cylinders and they've got a healthy alan henderson the whole year that kind of changes the equation but injury wise it just kind of wasn't meant to be and and they just never had the type of post depth on this team that they really needed i mean that's that's really where unfortunately the recruiting fell down just a little bit and you know, then obviously things kind of degenerated as the next couple of years went by defensively, uh, excuse well, defensively, yes, but recruiting in general. Um, so it's a shame. I mean, it's, uh, it's just one of those, it feels like a really lost uh, opportunity for IU because there were so many good players on this team and they played so many good positions, but the one position where they really needed depth, they just never could quite get their hands around it the the entire stretch of period that they had this particular roster. Yeah, and I, I think it was interesting because you, you look at one of the things that struck me so much is going back and watching some of these other games is how little subbing there really was and how depth, while important, was not what 
not talked about in the way that it is today. Now, the flip side of that, to to your point, is that this IU team, even by those standards of that time, you look back in retrospect when you kind of take away the fact that it was the teams that I loved growing up with and you could look past basically any fault that they had and really look and say – yeah, it was. They were kind of on the razor's edge, and then Henderson going out pushed them over that. Evans was was not a player at that point who was playing inside. He was, you know, I remember the Michigan game earlier in that season when he really had his, you know, one of his coming out parties when they played in Ann Arbor. He stepped in and played some big minutes, hit a couple big threes, um, but really being a a post guy was not what he was going to do. You saw them use Cheney that way a little bit in this game, but it wasn't anything they were going to at that in that era really wanted to do for any period of time so you look back at it that way and 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 you kind of th- this season and the, and the season prior are always kind of linked together and I think the thing that while losing in the final four to Duke and under all the circumstances and all those kinds of things that went went along with it and all the the history that's built up around that was that at least you knew coming back into this 92-93 season that you had the core of that team. You didn't have everybody. You lo- you lost Anderson, you lost Meeks, but you knew that a team with a, a core of Cheney and Graham and, and Nover and Henderson coming in would, or Henderson being there would be one that you felt good about and that you could do that. I think I, I was a lot like, you know, what Chris said, you know, rung true with me. I was 14 at the time of this game. And I remember crying when this game was over because I loved Calvert Cheney as much as anything that I've ever, I've ever loved from a basketball perspective and knowing that his IU career was over was devastating, but you didn't have the perspective even at that point to know, like things aren't going to be the same when these guys aren't around. And you kind of knew on some level, but you know, you spin that forward to the following year when you've got, you know, senior year, Damon Bailey, you've got Alan Henderson as a junior coming back at, at health. Uh, Pat Graham is a fifth year senior. And then Evans stepped up well. Uh, and Leary even played well in that season, but really the depth after that really dropped off. And, and that team was fine. They finished 12 and six in the big 10. Um, but it's not a, a memorable season. And so it's, it's funny to look back now and be like, well, yeah, I'd like to think that I, I know a lot more about basketball and would have seen coming, kind of what the next few years might bring for this team but you didn't you had that sense of hope after the 92 season and I think we're didn't have a huge sense of hope after the you know it wasn't the same but you hadn't really seen IU fall off at least during your kind of formative basketball years for at least for me at that point like you hadn't seen a huge drop off of of what was of what would happen and and so it was hard to kind of put into context like hey these guys are going to be gone this is going to be a tough road for a little while and it ended up being that for uh for quite a while quite honestly and led into the time when all of us were actually there so it's it's odd to to look back at some of that stuff now with the perspective that we have no it is it, 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 the whole thing feels frozen in time like this was and it's tough because you show people this particularly younger fans and they're like okay this is fine whatever why are you showing me this old person but uh, but in reality, it's more along the lines of, hey, this was this was really the last apex. I mean, there was you know there's certainly been good teams since then. You know, there was obviously the 0102 team was a really talented team that kind of underachieved in the regular season and then blossomed in the postseason. The the 12 and, and 13 teams were were really good. Um, you know, the 0708 team before it fell apart was really good. But this level of total team is frankly not something that IU has touched since this happened. And, uh, and that's, that's hard to get your head wrapped around given that it was, 
as long ago as it was. I mean, that, you got to remember that team, that this 93 team was 17 and one in conference play. And that was the best record since Indiana went undefeated in 76. I mean, that just shows you the, the level that they played on. And I agree. It's tough. I think this is, I think Galen, you said it really well. It's hard for the younger generation, like the students that are at IU now, I feel really bad because you know, you show them something like this and, and they see that they go, okay, well, yeah, this is when we were good. I hear that term all the time. Oh, when we were good. And it's kind of depressing because, you know, I was lucky enough to experience the O2 season as a freshman, but we haven't really been able to touch that, especially to the, you know, to this level, what we see, what we saw in 93, where game after game after game, you knew what to expect with this team and you knew what to expect with Calvert Cheney we're just not seeing that right now. And, you know, and it's something, unfortunately, I think a lot of the younger generation just can't connect with in a lot of ways. Yeah. It was uh, to your point, the consistency and the just sustained greatness for, for lack of a better term. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times since we've started doing the show that we've, we've lamented the fact after games that how many guys on, such and such team, do you know what you're going to get on a night in and night out basis? And and this team wasn't perfect. There were guys that ebbed and flowed. I mean, as Galen said, you only had two guys that started every game and some of that was night, some of it wasn't. But but man, you had a really good idea of what you were going to get out of most of these guys on a given night. And and Cheney just got a little bit fierier as, as time went on, but was just such a competitor. Um, that's what really comes out in watching some of these other games with him, just how competitive he was and, and what a leader he was. He wasn't necessarily demonstrative, but just like so many of those qualities are what feels like they've been missing along with that consistency and, and that level of, of greatness. And it, it's one of those things that it makes you excited to go back and watch because it has holds such a special place in your heart and what made you fall in love with IU basketball. And then you watch other pieces of it and it's like, damn it, why don't we see, you know, just insert this quality or this thing here now. And I think that's what leads to some of the, I don't know, disconnect or whatever you want to call it between fans and the, the program and different things like that now, um, because so many people had their opinion of what IU basketball should be formed by watching some of these teams. And and that might be for some folks an unfair standard to be holding some of these people to. But I, I, I continue to watch these, especially these last couple, like walk away from these games feeling uh, like bittersweet in some ways uh, of watching them, but also being able to to put into context how people feel about today's teams when comparing them to the the ones that we've watched over these last couple uh, rewatch episodes. All right. Well, uh, we've gone nearly an hour and a half and I think any of us who, who did fall in love with these teams could uh, talk about th- these guys for, for a while, but I do have to transfer this file over to Jared at some point and attempt to get a little bit of rest uh, on what I believe is the weekend. Although quite honestly, with times being what they are, uh, what really is a weekend at this point anymore? But we'll <laughs> we'll uh, we'll move forward. So just to give a quick update, what we've got going on next. So Sunday night, same thing, eight o'clock. Uh, we'll be watching the IU Kent State uh, rewatch from two thousand two. So the Elite Eight game there. Uh, I know the I IU, was there for that one. I, there you go. the uh, The IU Duke game that preceded that was on uh, CBS Sports Network last night, and it was fun. Uh, Dane Fife was kind of live tweeting uh, pieces of that. I got his opinion on uh, on how uh, how he rated uh, the flopping of Mike Dunleavy 
uh, in that game. He was nice enough to say that it was not as good as his or as good as Brad Davison's. So uh, I, I enjoyed that <laughs> response to the question, but it was kind of fun to watch that. But uh, I, people have obviously watched that game a ton as well. They should, but we're going to, uh, because we needed an elite eight game, uh, we wanted to pick that one. Some certainly exciting three-point shooting. Some Antonio Gates as a basketball player will be seen in that game. So uh, definitely an exciting one. So that will be Sunday night. I am not exactly sure who all is on that one. I believe Jared is hosting. Chris is on. Uh, and I don't know if I think Scott's the other one. I think Scott's it's the third. Okay. Scott's the third. All right. I'm glad you guys know what's going on. So, yeah. um, so that should be a, uh, that should be a good one. No, no Scott Ryan, uh, redux, which was, uh, which was a, a fun listen after the, uh, IU LSU, rewatch game. So we definitely encourage everybody to uh, tune in for that. So that's Sunday night uh, at eight o'clock. And then uh, Jared will be able to give you the the rundown for the following weekend. Cause I think we go to Saturday, Monday at that point, because we'll be moving into a uh, final four territory. So I think I've got the, the duty on the Saturday game, which will be the uh, 87 IU UNLV game in the final four. So just a reminder, you are listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. And remember that because you're an Assembly Call listener, you get 20% off of your entire order at homefieldapparel.com with promo code ASSEMBLY20. So if you want a great deal on the most comfortable and unique IU apparel that you'll find anywhere, go to homefieldapparel.com and use the promo code ASSEMBLY20 for 20% off your entire order. And with that, it is time for last call, which is fitting since we've been on for about an hour and a half now. So, uh... Just any final thoughts about this team, uh, this this game where IU beat Louisville eighty two to sixty nine? Uh, Galen, I'll throw it to you first. I just miss it. I really do. Like there, it was fun watching IU come out of the gates and just know exactly what it wanted to do and do it. And you know, it was a fun game. I mean, Louisville kept it close for a little while, but in reality, IU had control of the game every time Louisville made it close. IU pushed it away. And you know, I just, I don't know, I, I get a lot of nostalgic feelings because I, I can distinctly remember being old enough to not just watch these games, but really appreciate them. And, uh, you know, it's fun watching the guys play. It's fun seeing people, you know, in, in their old roles and doing what they do. And so I, uh, it, it brings me a lot of joy, but it also kind of makes me kind of wistful. Agreed. Chris, final thoughts from you on uh, the game tonight. Yeah, it's the same. Um, it's kind of, it's bittersweet. I mean, it brings up great memories of my childhood, great memories of going to games as a kid with my grandparents, but um, it's, it also reminds me of just how long ago that was. And that is something that uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's kind of a sad feeling. And I, I just hope that we can get back to that point to some extent in the future. Yeah, I feel like we've uh, I feel like we brought this down from the initial excitement, but I, I'm I'm kind of right there. I'm kind of right there with you guys. It it, uh, it was it was so exciting to see this team, you know, Cheney at the the height of his powers, uh, Graham playing so well down the stretch, and and uh, you know just seeing them kind of fill in around those guys with with other players in the aftermath of the Henderson injury, uh, the way the team tried to come together as best they could, and the and the end was certainly disappointing uh, based on that and and what it really felt like over the course of the season, this team could accomplish. And, and Galen, your point was a good one coming out at the beginning where IU knew what it wanted to do was going to assert itself and really did that from the opening tip. And even though the game was close at times, there wasn't really a point when you felt like certainly not now, since you knew the outcome, but even then you didn't really feel 
you, you weren't worried um, to watch the team out there. You, you kind of felt like these guys have it. They've been through enough. This group has stayed together long enough to really understand each other and, and be able to play through difficult situations. Uh, and, and it's funny because you contrast that to now and far larger leads made me make me far less comfortable today than a small lead with this team did. And uh, I think that speaks to, you know, how good these guys were, how talented they were and what they accomplished, because you don't get that level of comfort without having watched them accomplish a great deal and pull out a number of those games when it seemed like they may not be able to. Uh, And so this is, you know, these couple years of what these last couple rewatches have been were really by a fairly wide margin, my favorite IU teams. Uh, I think that, Everybody runs into that dependent upon when they're growing up, but it's certainly the success was part of it, but it was also that point in life when you're really, you know, starting to develop what you're interested in. And these teams were right there at the forefront of that for me. So it's been fun to go back and and watch to to you guys' point a little bit. And and to my point a little bit earlier, a little bit bittersweet, but, uh, but really fun to, to watch this team just be dominant in stretches, uh, watch Calvert Chaney be, uh, what, whatever, you know, be everything that he has been made out to be, um, for, for those who haven't watched a ton of him over the course of time, just, uh, a, a vintage Chaney performance in this game and, and a really, uh, a really fun watch quite honestly. And, uh, these games have all been fun. They're, they're filling a void for all of us between conference tournaments, NCAA tournaments, all that stuff. And, uh, so it's been a, a fun exercise and, uh, one that I, I know both, uh, both, you know, Scott has, t- you know, Galen said Scott had talked about doing it for a while. We've talked about doing it uh, on assembly call for for quite some time, and uh, unfortunately, not great circumstances actually forced our hand into doing it. But I'm glad we did, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. And so we appreciate everybody joining us as we go through here. Uh, appreciate uh, Galen and uh, and Chris for joining me tonight to talk through a game that uh, meant a lot to all of us, or a team, a game uh, about a team that meant a lot to all of us growing up. And uh, it's been fun reliving some of that. And, and trying our best to put it into some context. Also, um, also being able to really see what kind of you know cars we might be able to scour the internet for to be able to to find. So if you see Galen tooling around in a Geo Prism around Bloomington sometime soon, I mean, you'll know where the seed was planted and that seed was planted women, tonight. Women dig it, Andy. <laughs> women dig it. So <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see Katie's face at the moment that you told her that you'd found a really good deal on a Geo Prism. So. <laughs> Please make sure I know you've videotaped some uh, some of your cooking exploits in the recent days. But if you do find your way, you stumble your way into a geo prism, please make sure you uh, videotape her reaction and share that with all of us. So I'll get, I mean, the way that things are now, I'll get arrested by the Indiana State Police. But that's another story. <laughs> that so, cannot yeah. be that cannot be ruled out. So anyway, uh, we appreciate everybody uh, everybody joining us tonight. No formal outro uh, for this one, but uh, thanks for joining us, talking through uh, a, a great game from the '93 Hoosiers, and uh, we'll be back again on sunday night iu kent state 2002 so uh come back and join us again for that one and uh thanks again for joining us we appreciate it thanks everybody sticky notes email alerts a string around your finger they're just not big enough so here's a big reminder from the california lottery the mega millions jackpot is over 250 million play now please play responsibly must be 18 years older to purchase player five sticky notes email alerts a string around your finger They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. 
And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.